Welcome to another Mike Flanders podcast. Well, today is a kind of an interesting and different subject matter than what I've been speaking about lately. Um, I have a dear friend of mine that we had breakfast together today, and uh, we're coming close to Christmas, so we thought we would say hi to each other. And um, this particular gentleman has had incredible years of experience in the radio world, and we met several years ago working on a project that I'd produced, and um, his area is uh, promotions, radio, media, and uh, welcome Tim Riley to the show. Thank you, Mike. It's, uh, it's great to be here, and I've listened to a couple of your po- podcasts, and Enjoy them and good. Uh, well, we uh, it's all off the cuff and it's just just chatting away, chatting, yeah. ed- educating people about who we are, what we enjoy, and especially, I think what we could dive into today is the uh, really as we both know and we're both faced with that the music industry that we grew up in has changed rapidly. Is that your phone? Yeah, sorry about that. Let me turn <laughs> See it. how important it is? Yeah, it's just right. phone calls. So. <laughs> there we so, go. I'll turn that off. So um, the funny thing is, is uh, yeah, Tim's a busy guy. So uh, we're lucky to have him here today. Um, Tim, let's just first of all dive back to your history in Memphis and give the, give the listeners a scope of you know, where you started off and then we can kind of get to where it is today. Yeah, I started off in in Memphis uh, with a small label called Pepper Records. Uh, It's a Memphis-based label in that incredible music community. And, uh, you know, uh, I worked there for a couple of years and then struck out on my own. Uh, During that process, I I developed friendships with Isaac Hayes, David Porter, kind of my mentor, Steve Cropper. Wow. Uh, John King, who's a music historian, uh, and a gentleman who, two gentlemen that have passed away, John Fry, who owned Ardent Recordings. Oh, that was a big famous. Yeah, still is. They still do a lot of great work there. And uh, Marty Lacker, who gave me my first job in the music business. Marty was, at one time, Elvis Presley's right-hand man. Oh, really? Everywhere Elvis went, there was Marty. Wow. He carried the cash and the checkbook. <laughs> and uh, there's some amazing stories Marty told about... Taking care of business, right? Taking care of TCB. Yep. And uh, and so I started my own promotion and marketing company in uh, 1969. Uh, worked with some of the biggest pop, rock, and R&B acts. And, you know, had a... Name, name a couple. Name a couple. Well, um... Every, everybody from Dion Warwick, Elton John, to Kiss. I mean, it was a broad spectrum of wow. of talent. I worked with, of course, Isaac Hayes and uh, the Shaft Project, uh, numerous stacks artists, and uh, that was a brand, wasn't it? More than totally, more totally, than a a, it was totally a complete. Back then, branding was a little bit easier because you had an artist that was. A, producing incredible music, not to say they aren't today, but uh, you had a record company that was just totally devoted to establishing that one artist. They developed them one at a time. Yeah, right, okay. And there was not a prolific... uh, 16 things going out at once. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so it it was 
a lot more fun and a lot more uh, rewarding. Well, very focused. Because yes. if that was your job, you know, you're not getting blindsided by, oh, but did you do that? Did you work, you know, how right. did that, you know, wh where's that track at radio this week or blah, 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 right? right. So, wow. In 83, I moved to, uh, to Nashville. The Memphis music community had kind of, when, when stacks closed, a lot of things. So when stacks closed, how earlier would have sun closed? What was sun, the, sun closed, I want to say, five or six years prior to Stacks closing. Right. And I knew all the Phillips, uh, Knox, and Sam, and I forget the other the brother's name. I met the young, the son, Jerry. I met Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jerry and Knox were are my age, so, right. you know, and Sam was the, the head guy at Sun. The dad. Yeah, and... Yeah. Uh, and do you think he was a visionary, or do you think he was more of a businessman that just opened the doors and the right people happened to just wander through at those times? Or I think it was a combination of both. I think he was a very shrewd businessman. Uh, but I also think that it was very oppor opportunistic. Time. Timing, you yeah. know, it just the right folks walked through the door at the right time. Because America, after World War II was like in this blossoming state anyway, wasn't it? Right. I mean, you know, the modic vehicles, the right. music, the amplification, electric guitar, and all that was happening, and this big resurgence, and he was right there at the at the end of that conduit, wasn't he, where these right. people were wandering in, and he had, he had the doors and the signs open, and if there was those talented people in that town, where was there else to go? Exactly. Stax or there, the right? Stax or and Sun. And Stax was that more, it was more of the soulful music at Stax, right. though, wasn't it? And that yeah. was the Steve Cropper kind of... My uh, ex-father-in-law, who's passed away, John Novaris, owned a label called High Records. And they had Al Green. Oh, man. He's and what a catalog of woo. monster, monster songs. And, uh, you know, I, the fun part about me is I got to attend sessions. Yeah, right. When they were cutting it. And then, you know, when it came time to release it, I knew all the background behind the song. So you could go to radio I or could go to radio or retail or anybody, anywhere yeah. and tell them a story. I, you just didn't walk in and say, hey, I've got a hit record. Yeah. Here's the, here's you know, the play my record yeah. or buy my record. Yeah. You had you really had the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Today's right. world, a lot of a lot of labels are structured to where some of the employees just don't have that Can read the ground zero, mm. you know, yeah. from the bottom up. Yeah. Uh, education. Yeah. yeah. Or, or yeah, well, the, the, the personal um, <coughs> pers me. the personal. Um, tie with the with the actual artist right. I mean, going back in my experiences you know you know working at that label years ago we had the artist would even come into the boardroom and on a friday afternoon and there'd be beer and wine and cheese and yeah. they'd acoustically play the songs and that was our first connection if you weren't in the development stage of that act so so you actually got to go to the recording session and and see Steve Cropper playing guitar exactly. on that thing, and, and I'll run that again. I, I you know, I'm yeah, I was at a lot of Booker T and the MG oh, sessions. Man. You know, and and it, those guys. I mean, you know, to me, when I first got involved in the music business, I was kind of starstruck. But as you get into the actual creative process, and you get to know these individuals and great musicians.
you know, they're just like me and you, you yeah, know. They yeah. put their pants on the same way yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. And they're just down-to-earth, kind people. And uh, it was just an incredible education for me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you did actually get to meet Elvis one point. I met Elvis one time. <laughs> Marty invited me to his uh, Christmas party. It was held in the Thunderbird Lounge, which was in a basement of an apartment building. And uh, it was really strange. I, I was standing there talking to somebody, and I took a step back. And I bumped in to this gentleman's back, and I turned around, and it was Elvis Presley looking me straight in the face, <laughs> six inches away, and I just went, I, I, I could not talk. He had that sort of... Charisma. When he came in the room, you could feel the charisma. You could yeah. see the aura around yeah. him. Yeah. But when I turned around... There he was. There he was. It was... The king. He said, welcome to my Christmas party, and I went, uh, I work for Marty Lacker. He said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, he, just, he was a character. He, he, yeah, he had a great sense of humor. Oh, God, that's great. And then that's several great. years later, of course, he passed away. And Yeah, yeah, I was pretty young. But since I've been in Nashville, you know, I've, I did a lot of marketing and branding projects for... Well, t tell, the, uh, tell the listeners about your experience with breaking Tim McGraw. Oh, wow, that was uh, an interesting... So you would like to have a major a new, role uh, Mike Curb had just moved to Nashville. He had a label here. It was run by one of the Borchettas. Mike? <laughs> Mike Borchetta, correct. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And I had tried to talk to Mike, you know, about doing some marketing and or radio specials or a cornucopia of you know, content that I felt they needed. And Mike, when he moved to town, he brought a gentleman named Dennis Hannon. Oh. And Dennis is, I always a said, you know, Bo yeah. knows football and Dennis Hannon knows the music business. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, and so I cold called uh, Dennis one day and I said, hey, I'm Tim Riley and you're not sure I'd like to see if I could do some business with Curb Records. And he said, what do you do? And I basically said, in the two sentences, what I do. He said, where are you? And I said, I'm in my office. He said, how soon can you get here? And I said, well, I'm two blocks away. He said, come on over, and just hung up the phone. Did you didn't, didn't say didn't goodbye. Didn't even give you the address. <laughs> no, well, I knew it because I drove by the building. So you know me, I went, Poof, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we struck up a a friendship that continues to this day. And he was the kind of gentleman that said, okay, here's the task at hand. Go do it. And that was it. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't ask, you know. His formula, keep it simple. You know, stupid. he just keep it simple. Yep. Here's what I want you to accomplish. Yep. Go do it. And it was the so, best marching orders I ever got. So was that at the... At the beginning of Tim's Nashville career? Tim had, Mike Borchetta had signed Tim to Curb Records, and they had released a couple of singles that didn't do well, and an album that Tim later told me, you know, in, in the music business, you get a gold record or a platinum record or double platinum. 
Tim said his first album went wood. <laughs> it just went nowhere. The old joke was it went vinyl in the first week, right? And so my first project for Dennis and Mike and a, num a number of people on the staff was to start working with Tim McGraw. So we produced a number of radio specials throughout his career at Curve and we did a lot of retail campaigns back then with Walmart and Target and things like that. And uh, yeah, it just developed into, a, you know, a, a real fun 15, 16 year run with Wow, wow. I didn't work for, I was not a curb employee, I was a contracted employee. Yeah. yeah. And reported to Dennis. Yeah, right, right, right. And it was just right. a, a lot of fun. And then, you know, I've worked with some other artists at major labels, you know, like Reba and George. Uh, Garth Brooks, I did a lot of work for him in his early days. And uh, so I've, I've just tried to, you know, be honest to myself. About what you love. About what I love and then what the artist Really you requires know, what yeah. you know. You they t the label tells you one thing, and the artist says, "Yeah, this is what I want." But can we do a little bit of this? And if it's within the bounds of the marketing plan, I always agree with them and yeah, yeah, go forward. Then they then you're connected to them and vice versa. They yeah. feel that they're part of the process. And yeah, and the, and in the last few years, as you know, uh, you and I worked a little bit on Jeremy Parsons, who yeah. I think is an, an amazing artist and <clears throat> I haven't worked on anything for a while and and then I came across a Jonelle Polanski who's an incredible writer, producer, engineer and she has an artist and his name is Cameron. Right. And I'm real so genuinely about excited about the prospects of right. this young man. Cool. He's a he's cool. a country artist, uh with kind of a little pop flavor, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm just really excited about working with Cameron. Dig your claws into it. Yeah, yeah. So that's my history in a nutshell. That's beautiful. Well, let's uh, let's just dive quickly into, you know, you know, obviously you and I both know that, you know, we came from, you know, the you know the digital we saw digital move away from analog and right. now now we're seeing you know the physical move into more digital and this last few years we've had to kind of scratch our heads about the delivery system's different it's like you right. said how you would get the physical by even being part of the emotional and physical part of the performance now a label person can get a digital download of of something and that's all they get right. there's just nothing tangible in their hands nothing. to touch they just we're just emailing so i suppose some of that emotional side you know for me i get to create a song with someone sitting in this room that we're in today and pen and paper still i don't write on my computer where some writers write on the computer i'm still on a on a pad right. and, and pen right. and uh and an acoustic guitar and then if we think we've got something we you know we put down a work tape you know and yeah. so so i'm still involved in the inception and then guys like you come in and 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 grab that ball and run with it so when you get a song now you get it digitally 
and then you try and meet these people so you've got an emotional attachment to them. But, I mean, how has it affected your life from being someone that can talk about Alvis in the vinyl days to being able to see where we are? Would you say that's 40 years later? Yes, at least. Yeah. yeah. And so, you, so four decades, you've I've seen... I've been in the business uh, officially since 1967, so I think I'm at 51 years. Right, so I was five. Uh, of course, I started when I was five years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the amazing thing about what you're talking about from the creative level to the, uh, in, or from the concept to the inception to the actual creative process that you as a producer, writer, go through really hasn't changed that much. No, that's Except right. you have all these neat tools. Yes. You have Pro Tools and all these bells and whistles yes. and assets that you can go to that back in the, we call it the day, mm. you know, it was just straight on. Okay, one, two, three, four. Bam. And the band played yeah. and the artist sang. And yeah, no click track, no yeah, nothing. No, yep, yeah. yep, down she went, yeah. But the, the when I get music sent to me, uh, because I, I get a lot of it sent to me, and I I try to listen to everything. It's it's really hard to to relate. The, here's what I'm saying: most of the stuff I get is marginal. Yeah. Meaning, the artist's heart is totally in it. They're songwriting. You know, they're trying really hard, but they don't have a Mike Flanders to guide and nourish their. Yeah. Their, their abilities, or a Jonelle Polanski, yep. or you know, a Dan, Dan Huff. Huff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Someone that can take the reins and steer them to a much more, uh, a place that, that as a professional, we can see the little, the, the holes in the net, as I call exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. You know, and that's the thing is, um, you know, I, uh, I, I wrote on uh, Monday uh, with a young, young gentleman from Brazil, Ah. And he's been living here, and Mike Kraske is oh, right. looking after him. And I've I've had two sessions writing, and uh, we we you know I kind of figured how he was inspired, and uh, and that's exactly it. He he's he's a wonderful young nineteen year old that actually has all the ability, and it's beautiful to see where you can throw a line at a kid, and it's a good line, and he might put one little twist on it, and all of a sudden. Oh, that's that's great, you know, um, and that is the, the the part that I still enjoy is I love working with people that we're interacting. I don't like the writer that I sit with that you're slaving. Exactly. You know, when it exactly. becomes hard work that way, and then then it's just not a two way street. No. It's, that's talent, and I think that there's a lot of that happening again. There's new, there's new kids on the block and they're inspired. They can see that they can grab their own ball and run with it if they mm -hmm. have to. Right. They don't see things as a struggle as much with the digital era. May not make the money that we used to be able to make, but they see the avenues. Right. And I mean, that's, you know... So what's your personal view... What's your, the microphone? Oh, sorry about that. What's your personal view on, um, on streaming after coming through what you've come through and and used to you know obviously you would service to terrestrial radio right back right. in the day back in the day yeah. yeah so how do you feel now well now record companies are 
have numerous platforms to generate revenue. Yep. There's then what I, we call the standard practice of getting radio, terrestrial radio, and satellite radio to play the music, and they still play the chart game where you know they get ads and yep. move a record up the charts. And then you've got all the streaming services, and, and yeah. there's so many it's hard. <clears throat> but a friend of mine at a label told me they they would rather do business with Apple. Really? Because Apple, and I'm just using, I'm making up an example, but if they sell a, if someone downloads a song from Apple, it's a 99 cent, usually a 99 cent fee Apple charges them. The label slash artist, they get somewhere between 70 and 73 cents where that's not the platform or the protocol that a Spotify will use. No. You'd have to have hundreds of millions yeah, of right. downloads to equal. So they're saying using Apple Playlist as an Apple streaming service, and then those well, yeah, people that's, that are that's already... The largest, in like, my opinion, yeah, that's the largest yeah. revenue a, stream. So I'm a member of this, you know, I'm an Apple user and right. I, you know, I have my Apple playlist. And then, so then obviously if you're hot on something, you can right. then just download it. Right. And then you've got it forever or you can keep it on your playlist basically exactly. and pay your streaming fees. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Your but, uh, yeah, with all of that and then the advent of, of course, music videos were around in the 70s, early, late 60s. You know, you had uh, artists like David Bowie, you yeah. know. Yeah. Making music videos before anybody knew they were music videos. Yeah, because he was so and, arty. Uh, and so there's all these different platforms to expose an artist. But it all comes back down to what you referred to earlier is you've got to have a great song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got to, to be studious in how you present the song. Yeah. And... You get, then you've got to totally believe in the artist and his ability, his or her ability, to, to take the song out to the public. Yeah. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Yes. Is live yeah. performances. And the biggest single revenue stream now in the music industry is merchandising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to be aware and tie all these different elements together when you hopefully successfully release a project. Because mm. if you leave an element out... There's a revenue stream out. Right, and yeah. that's the kiss of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, well's it turned into selling T-shirts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I think we've had a pretty good talk. Well, thank you? you, Mike, for having me. Merry Christmas. We're Merry clothing. Christmas We're to in you. December of 2019. This is uh, a very informative chat with a, uh, would you classify yourself as a, uh, a, a promoter, radio promoter? What would your, what would your title be, Tim? I, I'm, I'm a marketing, branding, promotion sort of thing. It's, I would say more of a marketing person. Okay. That includes sales, promotion, development. No, no, those areas. Yeah, so you've got a gentleman that's had 40, 50 years from the inception of Memphis, Tennessee, when the 50s was 
blowing up to the most incredible music in the world that we still listen to today. Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, right. Jerry Lee Lewis. Lewis. Who else was uh, come out of Sun back then? Uh, well, those were the main ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, out of stacks, you know, you got Aretha Franklin cut most of all her early Stuff records there, at yeah. stacks. Did you meet her? No, I never met Aretha. Wow, wow. Somehow I just... She walked out Missed the door that. and you, you were driving away in your car. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah. we would cross yeah. paths. You, she you would... got to meet Al Green, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Steve said, well, you know, Rita just left. I went, thanks, Steve. Why yeah, didn't you yeah, give me yeah, a buzz? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if, you, if the listeners don't know, um, I have met Steve Cropper also several times. Uh, I met Donald Duck Dunn. Oh, I love um, Dunn. Yeah, you yeah. passed away. I know. I drank a few red wines with Dunn one night. Um but um, the songs that Steve Cropper co-wrote are some of the most played songs on in radio history. Sitting on the dock of the bay. And Midnight Hour. Midnight Hour. I mean, yeah. I suppose they're the two pinnacle tracks, right? right. You right. know, so, um, so this is the kind of history we're talking about. These are the individuals that live in this town that we live in. And uh, I hope we're giving the listeners something that they are enjoying. Merry Christmas. This is Mike Flanders signing off. Tim Tip. Riley signing off. And uh, let's hope 2020 brings us lots of joy and success in what we'd love to do. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Mm-hmm.